Hi, we're the ladies of LifeSite, and we're so glad you're here. We're ladies simply navigating the challenges and triumphs of this modern culture as moms, wives, sisters, and daughters. Join us each week as we discuss the raw questions and situations that we face every day from our unique perspectives. So grab your cup of coffee, tea, or beverage of choice, and let's dive into this week's episode. Hi, everyone. This is Rebecca with Ladies of LifeSite. And before we dive into today's episode, I just wanted to add a quick note here. The interview Maddie and I did is an amazing interview, I think, and valuable information from Dr. Brian Artist, our first male guest. As the title of the interview indicates, we talked about the COVID shot and the idea of shedding or transmission. So I just wanted to note here that everything concerning the COVID shot is still super new, obviously. But the documents mentioned are available, linked in the description, and provide proof of concerns that Dr. Artis brings up in the interview, which you'll hear in a few minutes. Additionally, Dr. Artis shares some valuable advice on what we can be doing to boost our immune system. And it's really, truly valuable and important information, regardless of COVID, shot, transmission, or any other concerns that we may have. Because we can simply always be doing things to help our body function better. So all of this being said, I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And so I encourage you to snag a cup of coffee or beverage of your choice and maybe some laundry or dishes because if you're like me, they're definitely waiting for you. And let's get going on this week's episode of Ladies of LifeSight. So let me just say, Dr. Artis is an amazing doctor. He's actually the CEO of Artis Labs and has been helping people worldwide. His mission has been to educate everyone on the dangers of America's kind of institutes of health. And so he's been fighting for um, medical freedom for um, everyone worldwide, but especially in America, where we've really been facing some oppression there. So today we've asked him to join us because here at LifeSite, we've been reporting on the side effects and reactions that we're seeing from individuals who are getting the COVID shot. Obviously, as a mama and a woman, I'm paying special attention to the reports that are coming out about changes in menstrual cycles, other reproductive system changes, and even some of the reports of miscarriages in women who have gotten the shot. But here's the thing. We're also seeing hundreds of testimonies from women. And also there's even this latest Pfizer doc that's kind of floating around. I know Dr. Artis will probably speak to that during this episode. But essentially it's reporting that even individuals who have not had the COVID shot are experiencing some adverse reactions simply by being around those who have gotten the shot. So that's what I'd love to talk about a little bit today. So to start off with, Dr. Artis, can you just explain kind of what shedding is, especially for those that are kind of skeptical or haven't heard of this phenomenon before? Can you explain it simply and then maybe add a, a little bit more scientific detail to it? Yeah, there's there's this issue in this phrase going around concerns of shedding where unvaccinated people could even be potentially harmed by those who have been vaccinated uh, by the COVID-19 vaccines. And to define the shedding, there are multiple viruses that we have been exposed to naturally by humans that actually have a shedding propensity, which means once they get into the body, they can signal to the cells to release or create a higher abundance of overreaction to the infection. Uh, so an unchecked immune response 
And then the viruses themselves will actually have to go from you to another one. And the way in which our bodies shed viruses or the possible issues with these COVID-19 vaccines, which will define what's in them that we know. But if the individual is getting vaccinated or shedding any of these particles of mRNA or genetic material or adenoviruses in the Johnson & Johnson shots, if they're in there, the body has several ways of shedding. You're either going to exhale through your lungs, you're gonna breathe out these particles as your body has an overabundance of them or a toxic load of them. It will actually breathe them out or gaseous exchange them through your lungs. You can sweat them out through your pores of your skin. So then contact with individuals can make you potentially harmed by whatever's being shed, infection or particles. And then also through urinary output, through bowel excretion or fecal matter. And then also, unfortunately, you can actually shed particles from these vaccines or the infections of COVID-19 or other viruses through your semen. So people are at risk who come around those who have been vaccinated, unfortunately. And I will share this with you too. There's a document you just referenced. It is the Pfizer 146-page document that outlines the required screening for participants of their COVID-19 vaccine trials, and then how to report those who are administering the COVID-19 vaccines from Pfizer, how to report adverse events and serious adverse events. And this is what's very disturbing about this actual article that's published by Pfizer. And I have a copy of it. You guys have probably seen it, but uh, people should know what's in this. And it's, it's eye-opening. Number one, the trial excludes all individuals who are pregnant or might be pregnant if they've missed two menses cycles in a row. They are not allowed to be even in the Pfizer trial. So we now know there are no pregnant women in the trials who are going to be tested for safety or efficacy or complications with pregnancy in this trial at all. But we're hearing now they're going to push this out to all of us in America, pregnant or not. But uh, the fact that they didn't allow pregnant women in the trial out of worry or concern for pregnancy outcomes should make you question whether or not you should allow them to inject it into you as an experiment. You are the experiment. Inside the study, when you're referencing shedding, when you get to section eight, this actually is on page 66 of that article, they actually state that women who are pregnant who are not vaccinated, the individuals overseeing the Pfizer trial participants when they receive the shot and they are exposed or around a pregnant woman or a breastfeeding mother or are around someone in an occupational space, they call it an occupational exposure hazard. If you're around a pregnant woman and you've been vaccinated and the pregnant woman has not, the individual who has been vaccinated is supposed to report to the person who's conducting the trial for Pfizer and let them know and report it within 24 hours. And the individual who's actually overseeing the trial, it's written in here, is expected to report this to the Pfizer Safety Board as a serious adverse event to the unvaccinated pregnant woman. And they are expected to follow that pregnant unvaccinated lady for up to six months. And then even if the baby's born within that six months, the actual overseer of the study can actually go look at the baby to determine were there complications, is the baby normal, abnormal, is there birth defects, was it a stillbirth? And they can determine if they believe that the, there was a correlation between the person being exposed, the pregnant woman not vaccinated, exposed to a vaccinated trial participant. 
if they believe that was actually connected to report that immediately to the Pfizer safety board of complications from the pregnancy. What's even more disturbing is, is it defines exposure during pregnancy as a family member who reports that she is pregnant after being exposed to the study intervention, which is the person getting vaccinated, and the exposure is defined by inhalation or skin contact of that individual. So they are expected to report that this is a serious adverse event. Now, a serious adverse event in a trial is a life-threatening side effect or concern. So if this person, a female who is pregnant, is around someone who's been vaccinated and they have inhaled air that they are breathing or have had skin contact with that individual, it is to be reported by the person overseeing the vaccinated people to be reported as a serious adverse event, which means it could be life-threatening to the mother or to the baby. This is a definition of their concerns already, that there's going to be some attempt at shedding, which means your body's going to be releasing particles or infections or chemicals inside the vaccine that are gonna be harmful to people that are just around you through breathing air or through touching them, which I mentioned earlier, you can exhale toxins or infections. So if you've got this overexposure in your body after vaccination, you're gonna expel that through air and even if a pregnant person around you breathes that air in, it is listed by Pfizer to be written down as a serious adverse event. And those people are supposed to be followed and documented for six months. Was there a threat to the pregnancy from the vaccinated person? And that just should throw up tons of alarms for anybody. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's a lot. Um, to clarify, though, I'm currently pregnant, so that's absolutely terrifying. But I wanted to ask kind of a clarifying question in in terms of who are the study participants? You've mentioned, you know, anybody that's the study participant, they've gotten the vaccine. Who are these people? And can you define them? Yeah, a few things. I highlighted a whole bunch of stuff out of this article and just created my own <laughs> little document, of course. But it's interesting. It says this is only allowed, the COVID-19 vaccine participants, it's only allowed for healthy individuals. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting that they highlight that first? Mm -hmm. I mean, they pushed all the vaccines on the unhealthy people, 65 years and older, with comorbidities or health concerns. But they didn't yeah. even do any studies on unhealthy people to vaccinate them. Then it currently says the study rationale is there are currently no licensed vaccines to prevent infection with SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19. Therefore, rapid development of an effective vaccine is of utmost importance. So here's the people that they were allowing in the study. You asked that. Who were they allowing in? Young adults who were healthy. And men had to commit that if they're going to be in the study, they can't have sex with anybody for 28 days from the first injection or the second. And wow. that tells you there must be a problem with shedding through semen, like I mentioned earlier, but there could be potential risks immune-wise, immune-compromised situations in the vaccinated person that now are going to be injected into their sexual partner. So men had to be able to promise they were going to be celibate for 28 days. How they're going to track that, I don't know. And then they had just postmenopausal requirements. That was, that was okay but they still have to be tested, even if they are postmenopausal, for pregnancy before every dose. Anybody to do it at all that, that could be pregnant, possibly pregnant, there, there's no way they're going to allow that. In this actual this criteria, in this uh, document, it says there are unknown adverse events that are going to be reported with a novel vaccine. And there is no clinical data available for this vaccine because they've never done it before. And it says there is a potential from this vaccine for COVID-19 enhancement. 
disease enhancement has been seen following vaccination with respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, feline coronaviruses, and dengue virus vaccines. And we've already seen this before, but this is a worry. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in India, uh, the whole pandemic was almost over until they introduced vaccines. And within 10 days of introducing vaccines, there's been a huge spike in cases. And then the death rates now are actually per million people in India. Within 10 days of the vaccine started, the cases climbed higher than at the highest levels during the pandemic. And their death rates are higher than they were at any peak moment during the summer of 2020, just since the vaccines were introduced. So this is a very problematic and worrisome. And there's a lot of people talking about this. There's been two attempts to create vaccines for coronaviruses in the past, in the early 2000s. One was for SARS coronavirus and one was for MERS. They attempted these vaccines for a coronavirus in animals, mice, ferrets, monkeys, rabbits. And when they vaccinated them all and then exposed them later to the actual wild coronaviruses, 100% of all the animals died from a enhancement it was an enhanced reaction that killed the, the actual animals in the attempt to fight the infection. That never, never, ever in the past has a coronavirus vaccine ever made it to human trials because 100% of all animal trials led to death. And you're going to see a spike of that. A lot of people, a lot of us are worried about that, that you're going to see that now. And the truth is you're not hearing it reported a lot in the media about deaths reported by COVID, but there's over 3,500 already reported to the American government, deaths within a week to 48 hours even from after getting the COVID-19 shots, all three of them. And uh, those are disturbing statistics. Yeah, that's really, again, just another terrifying realization, I think, for a lot of people. I know uh, Dr. Tenpenny was on our coronavirus conference that we had, oh, I guess it's been a couple months ago now, and she mentioned that exact thing about these quote-unquote vaccines, these COVID shots, how they, they can actually do a lot more harm than good. And it's heartbreaking that we're seeing it in actuality and, you know, coming to light, but at the same time, it's also validating that you know, this is really happening. People aren't just crazy. It's not just a bunch of conspiracy theorists who are, who are saying these things. You see the data and it's right in front of you and it's staring us in the face. And we really can't deny it at this point in time. As much as the media wants to ignore or hide or shuffle all these deaths under the rug, it's there right in front of us. I want to circle back a little bit to the shedding idea because it's, it's really getting a lot of attention. And I think uh, a lot of people are either worried about it or think that we're completely crazy to be worried about it. Does this happen with other vaccines? Is this something that we're, you know, worried about with other vaccines or virus? I know you mentioned that it happens with other viruses, but why is it so concerning that it's happening now with this COVID shot? Not only because it's obviously ineffective and it causes a lot of secondary side effects, but why should we be worried about this? Well, number one, we are we're worried up front about people getting coronavirus, right, in general and getting sick. Then we worried about what's going to happen when from these previous studies I just mentioned on other coronaviruses attempts to vaccinate them, there was what was called antibody enhancement. And this created this overwhelming observation that there's the potential for greater shedding, shedding being going from you to another person, shedding of either genetic material from the actual mRNA inside of these experimental vaccines you're seeing, or even 
spike proteins that these mRNAs are supposed to be creating. And our human body and our antibodies attacking those spike proteins, they're expecting the Johnson & Johnson, the Pfizer, Moderna shots to make. The worry is, is that we're gonna shed these spike proteins. And if you shed these spike proteins, it's gonna create for people who are unvaccinated or are vaccinated, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter who you shed it on. The additional spike proteins that are gonna be elicited in your body, either from the coronavirus, which has a spike protein, or now trying to get your own body to make more spike proteins, you're gonna see an enhanced reaction of damage to your body internally in the form of what is called autoimmune diseases. The attempts of these vaccines is to get your body to make antibodies against your own cells that are looking like a coronavirus spike protein. If you do that, your body's gonna actually start attacking your own DNA that looks like a now changed spike protein. And there are many, many parts of our bodies that have proteins all around them and markers that look just like spike proteins. And the worry for all of us is, is that if we're shedding any of these mRNA spike protein induced from vaccines, shedding those to unvaccinated people, shedding them to vaccinated people, there's an enhancement already inside of them. The individuals vaccinated and those who are actually sharing it with other unvaccinated or vaccinated people, that you will get even heightened antibody reactions, which means your own body is gonna start creating defenses and fighting against your own tissues and create a myriad of diseases and deaths. I actually have a family member with an autoimmune disease and you know, this may not be the case with everybody, but from my understanding, autoimmune diseases are extremely difficult to treat because you're trying to effectively shut off your body's own immune system because it's turned rogue and is starting to attack yourself. And so you either run the risk of shutting your body's immune system off completely so that it stops attacking you, but then you're vulnerable to all kinds of, you know, any small virus, bacteria, infection under the sun, or your body is just attacking itself all the time. So that's that's truly petrifying. Even outside of the shedding, uh, Sherry Timpany's done a great job of educating people on the mechanisms of injuries. And she's come up with 20 ways in which these four shots, Johnson & Johnson, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, and Moderna, how it is that they, they are creating spike proteins in your own body. And that she's actually been able to put it together that there's what's called the potential for each of these transgenes in the Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca and the mRNA inside of the Pfizer and Moderna, there is, she can absolutely show you that there is the ability of your body, once your DNA starts getting transcribed into mRNA by this enzyme called reverse transcriptase, once that happens, there's a huge potential of your own body with these insertions of mRNA from these vaccines to cause what's called transfection insertional mutagenesis. This is where you get mutated cells to start replicating. Mutated cells are cancer cells. And so she's got a huge concern also that this transfection insertional mutagenesis, which there is a direct pathway from these genes, these RNA vaccines, mRNA vaccines, can cause multiple cancers in any part of the body through what's called insertional mutagenesis. That is where your body inserts spike proteins into your own DNA. And I just wanna share with you too, if you haven't seen this yet, your audience needs to know this. Now you can talk about shedding. Now the truth is we can't see shedding, right? You can't see it in the air. So it's like this mystery things people talk about, but you can see things. And I just want your audience to know that in October, there was a report by the FDA that was created in October before the vaccines came out in December. 
And they, there's an internal division of the FDA called CBER, the Center for Biologics, Experiments, and Research. They oversee vaccines for all Americans. They did a vaccine safety and effectiveness presentation for the FDA for COVID-19 vaccines that were coming. And I'm actually holding it here. You might be able to see it on camera, but your listeners won't. But this is actual slide 16 from October 22nd, 2020. And I have this whole document. Anybody else can get it too. On slide 16, the FDA knew in October and published this internal report that there is over 110 known diseases that were going to be serious side effects of the COVID-19 vaccines that were going to start being reported in December when they started injecting people. And this whole report was about how are we going to, as the FDA, take that information from these reports and then determine causality. How are we going to be able to determine that the vaccine was given and then these reports came in whenever? What's the time frame? We're going to figure this out. You just need to know there's 110 diseases the FDA knew in October were going to be coming from these COVID-19 vaccines as side effects. Birth outcomes and pregnancies, so stillbirths, abortions, or you know, automatic ab- abortions, birth defects, all of those are listed on there. Death is one of the side effects, which has already been 3,500 of those listed. There are four different blood clot disorders, including strokes on this list, which we're seeing in the Johnson & Johnson one being reported and paused and now put back into circulation. These were all known in October, but not told to you. So deaths are on there, autism's on there, convulsions, seizures, strokes, anaphylaxis, heart attacks, And then there's a bullet point for autoimmune diseases that we just touched on. Do you guys know how many autoimmune diseases there currently are in America? Diagnosable? There's 80. They actually knew that in October, autoimmune diseases were going to be reported as reactions to the COVID-19 vaccines. And you're going to see a ton of those. A lot of us are very worried. It takes time for your body to produce antibodies to attack your own tissue and tear them down enough, like in your joints and in your ligaments and tendons to cause pain where you're gonna be diagnosed by a rheumatologist with rheumatoid arthritis or lupus or fibromyalgia. It takes 18 months to two to three years to start seeing that show up. But over the next three to five years, we are very concerned that there's gonna be millions and millions of Americans that are gonna be diagnosed with autoimmune diseases, new ones, or exacerbated as a result of this. And I find it very troubling that they had this list in October published by the FDA. And then the FDA created in December the emergency use authorization fact sheets for each Pfizer and Moderna shots and Johnson and Johnson. And on those fact sheets, these are the sheets that the FDA sends out with accompanying the vaccine that when a person is giving you the vaccine, if you as the consumer say, yeah, give me the shot. But before then, I want to know what's the risk and what's the benefits. Are there any risks? The actual person giving you the shot is supposed to be able to give you the fact sheet and review that with you. And on that sheet that the FDA makes, it has printed listed side effects. What's interesting is their October report that included death and 109 other diseases. That is not a single one of those reported documented side effects that they knew in October were going to happen as side effects to coronavirus 19 vaccines. None of those showed up on the fact sheets. In fact, months later, There's already been 115,000 reports of these same things listed on their October report. Still, they are not listed on the revised fact sheets that have been revised since December. So I have a big problem with the FDA knowing internally we're going to see all these things get reported, including paralyzation called Guillain-Barre syndrome. That's already been reported a bunch of times here in America. Blood clot disorders. They already knew it. There's already thousands of those that have been reported. 
Johnson and Johnson, we only saw six because they went to the media, right? They couldn't, they couldn't not address those. But this is a very, very complicated, very, very disturbing information that they withheld that from you. How can we as citizens and consumers of the vaccine who are trying to make an informed decision on behalf of our own health and our family's health, how can we make a good decision when we're not being told all of the risks? And I consider that criminal. Now, on this list in October, they knew and listed pregnancy and birth outcomes were actually a serious adverse event expected to be reported from COVID-19 vaccines. No pregnant mother should consider vaccinating their children with this COVID-19 vaccine or themselves while pregnant. The most important part of your entire pregnancy is the first trimester, second trimester, and then the first three years of their life after they're born is when the majority of your nervous system is being developed. Your brain and nervous system aren't even fully developed until you're three years old. And your nervous system is what actually supports your immune system's ability to fight infections. I personally don't recommend anybody get vaccinated until after they're three years old. The risk of neurological trauma is way less after three. I definitely wouldn't encourage it during utero. I find it concerning for all pregnant pregnant mothers, those considering it, uh, that they should absolutely push that off. I think at, at this point, my my big thing, I mean, you gave us such such good information and it's it's extremely troubling, especially, you know, we live we live in America and and supposedly we should have informed consent before before any medical procedure, whether that's a shot or even getting antibiotics put on a wound, you know, the, all of these things, every step of the way, any medical medical interaction should involve informed consent. And like you just said, they're leaving out some some very valuable information for people to truly have true informed consent. And they're they're giving out these fact sheets to kind of gloss over some of this, which is it's that sounds very concerning. And I think we can we can all agree on on this call at least, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners, that this is a problem. First of all, what's something that we can maybe um, do to make the change in terms of like encouraging informed consent when we go to these doctor's appointments or interacting with the medical field? How how does that look like? What does that look like for an average mama <laughs> Or, or parent in today's society, I guess. Number one thing I've always taught people, people can't have really powerful conversations and confident and be very confident in their decision making without knowledge or information. So the more educated you can be, the more powerful your conversations can be also. So for example, I'll give you just an example of a scenario. One of my children was born 18 years ago and in the hospital they came to me and said, you need to sign these papers to get your child vaccinated. And I said, no, no, I need the form that tells you you can't. And they said, you're not going to vaccinate your child? I said, no. And she goes, okay, I don't know where that form is. I said, just flip it up. It's probably at the back of that list of papers on your clipboard. It was the very last one. I signed it. And then she started to walk off and saw that there was the hepatitis B vaccine singular exemption form. And she goes, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Artis, here's another one. And it's for the hepatitis B vaccine. You're not going to sign that one, are you? And I said, oh, for sure. That's the one they give you on day one when my son would have been born. And I said, for sure, I would never let you inject my son with that one. And she goes, she held the clipboard from me and she said, Dr. Artis, don't you know, or Mr. Artis, don't you know that the hepatitis B virus can live on a doorknob for up to 24 hours? And this is exactly what I said. Can I ask you a question? How long have you worked here? And she said, seven years. And I said, uh, you just said to me, am I aware that a 
hepatitis B virus can live on a doorknob for 24 hours. And she said, yes. And I said, I need you to think real hard over your last seven years in this neonatal unit. How many newborns have you seen open a door in this hospital? <laughs> and she did just that. She started laughing. And I said, why did you say that to me? <laughs> and she goes, I don't know. And I said, I know. And then I looked at her and I said, can you tell me though, how is it people actually get hepatitis B virus in their body? And she goes through sexual through sex, through intravenous drug use. And then I looked at her and I yep. said, worked here seven years. And she goes, yeah. I said, how many babies have you seen having sex in the nursery? <laughs> and she laughed yep. and I said, how many yep. babies have you seen do intravenous drug use in this hospital besides the drugs you're injecting into them? And she goes, none. And I said, do you know what the half-life of that actual vaccine is? Like, how long is this going to provide immunity for? And she goes, no. I said, the whole life is 12 years, which means it's going to wear off by the age of 12. And I looked at her and I said, so I want to ask you something. If it only lasts for the first 12 years of their life, how many 12-year-olds and youngers do you know having sex and doing intravenous drugs? And she goes, I don't know any. I said, no, I really want you to think about it. How many? You might know some. And she goes, I really can't think of anyone 12 and younger that's ever done that, that I know. And I said, then why are we giving it to kids right when they're born? Yep. She goes, I don't know. And I said, you should go tell your boss that we should start giving it to kids when they're 12. So it lasts 12 years till they're 24 right? 12 to 24. When they're in high school, college, when they're going to be promiscuous, we should do it then. Hepatitis B virus vaccine that they give on day one has already been proven to have a direct correlation to type 1 diabetes within three years of children injected with it. There is a direct correlation to the hepatitis B virus vaccine in type 1 diabetes in children. And I have a problem with wanting to put that risk into my own children for that virus and that vaccine what kind of problems are we going to see three to five years from now from these COVID-19 injections with children in utero and children right now who are born young? And Stanford is now wanting to push six-month-old to five-year-old children to get these vaccines. I would never in my life put an experimental, untried chemicals of any kind or technology of any kind into my kid. I, as a parent, have five children. Yeah. I decided years ago not to vaccinate my kids and all of my kids are completely healthy. I've never had any issues of health at all. No diseases, no autoimmune diseases. I have four siblings who all have children and they all have a myriad of issues, but they've all been vaccinated. So to protect my children from allergies, asthma, that's so common and rampant in children and autoimmune diseases like diabetes, uh, juvenile arthritis, uh, just ignore the vaccines altogether. If you're going to do it, do it after they're three is what I always recommend. I'm not telling you not to do it. I'm just telling you to wait, let their nervous system develop and then do it later. I love that. And I love love the um, idea of of making sure that you're educating at the time. So if you have enough knowledge, then you can help educate and, and share that information like you were talking about with your story. How do we have a powerful conversation with our MDs? If you at all are hesitating or skeptical, and you're afraid, I've had lots of people write to me and go, but I'm afraid I have my, my doctor's appointment coming up next week and I'm afraid they're going to force me to get the vaccine or scare me into getting it. And this is actually what I tell people. Okay, so this is how I would handle the conversation if I were you. There's no part of me that's scared, but that's because I know enough to not be scared. There's nothing you're going to say to me that scares me or intimidates me. But for a lot of parents, they will feel that way because they don't feel like they can have that conversation with them. So this is what I would say to them. Just type up a little document on your computer, on Word, this is exactly what I would have it say. I would have the doctor's name at the top, and I would say, if Dr. So-and-so believes these are 100% safe and effective for me, my unborn child, and my children, these vaccines that you're going to tell me to do, 
the doctor is willing to take all financial liability if any side effects happen to me, my, my infant in, in utero, or my child, if they come as a result of the vaccines. Hereby signing this document, now I'm not even joking, hereby signing this document, Dr. So-and-so accepts all financial liability and just hand it to him. And if he's going to tell you that he's convinced this is 100% safe and effective and you hand him that document, say, great, just sign here. I promise you, everyone on the planet would be shocked if he signed it. And then you would have to ask yourself, if he's so convinced really that it's 100% safe and effective, where's the hesitation? Why would you hesitate if it's 100% safe and effective? The truth is they know they're not, and he would never sign the document. But if they can't give you that kind of assurance, that's really the kind of assurance I would want on behalf of my own child. You only have this child once. <laughs> you want your child as healthy and to live as long as possible. There's nothing else I can ask for besides happiness for them. But disease makes people very unhappy. Most of the time they struggle with that. Why would we want to have any potential for that for our children in the future? So I would demand personally, anybody to make them sign it. I don't care if it's a, somebody in a drive through line trying to vaccinate a whole bunch of people. I'd hand them the document and go, can you sign this? Can you prove to me this is 100% safe and effective? And they're gonna say yes and say, great, sign this for me. There's no way anybody would sign that. They would be too threatened by the liability. So just circle back around a little bit. The other question that I kind of had after hearing, you know, you're talking about the shedding, especially to unvaccinated people. So those that are choosing, hey, either for, you know, moral and ethical reasons, we've we've talked about on this show before, and LifeSite has reported several times that, you know, there's a connection, especially between the COVID shot, as well as multiple other vaccines and aborted fetal cells. So whether you're denying this shot on moral and ethical reasons or, you know, if you're denying it based off of these concerns that there's something in this technology, the mRNA. So let's say we're saying no, I'm unvaccinated, I'm not going to take it. Is there anything at this at this time that we know, obviously, it's still pretty new. What do we know about ways that we can protect ourselves as unvaccinated, those that are choosing against the shot? Because, you know, you're going to you're going to go out and go to the grocery store or wherever and, and probably interact with people and you just can't, you know, you can't know. Although a lot of people that are getting shots are wearing stickers or buttons, so that's a little more helpful. But in reality, you know, you're going to interact with these people, whether it's at church, at the grocery store, or even your family. Is there anything that we can do to maybe increase our immune system or protect ourselves? This is where we are now, I guess, and, and that's kind of the conversation that that we're trending towards as people that are concerned for this. A lot of things you've already brought up in this are like alarming and worrisome and dreadful and mysterious. This is by far my favorite topic you've brought up so far. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> I find it miraculous that people are going to worry about whatever's going into the body in the way of these shots, what the coronavirus is going to do to us. And I'm going to tell you exactly how it is. I've been able to help thousands of people not have any fear about the coronavirus infection at all, whether or not they got it or picked it up, and whether or not they're exposed to people who are vaccinated and they worry about shedding, the same principles apply. Inside of your human body, God put into you this thing called the immune system. The immune system is found primarily in your bone marrow. It makes what are called white blood cells. These white blood cells are directed by your thymus gland to be converted into what are called T lymphocytes and natural killer cells. Natural killer cells are proven to kill coronaviruses of all types, regardless if it's SARS-CoV-2 or not. 
natural killer cells in your body. God already put it in there. It knows how to handle HIV viruses, which is a retrovirus. It knows how to handle cold viruses like a denovirus, which is actually what's in Johnson & Johnson shot. It knows how to handle these things. Natural killer cells are also proven to kill every stage of cancer cells. So when I say to you that there is something you can do, all you got to do is actually put into the body the ammunition the immune system needs to produce more natural killer cells. And there's a few things that do it. In fact, China killed the COVID pandemic in China in April of last year. 2020. Yeah, it all died off in April. And all they did was use high dose intravenous vitamin C. So here's the worry about COVID. Overall, people now are in panic and fear that they're going to die from COVID. Well, this is COVID. COVID gets into our body. COVID-19 gets into the body, attacks the actual lung tissue and creates a what they call a cytokine storm that leads to like pneumonia symptoms. And these patients can't breathe. So then you heard people were being put on ventilators. So the issue and concern is secondary pneumonia to COVID-19 infection. So that's the big worry. Even if they're shedding from these spike proteins that look like coronavirus, the same thing's going to happen. You're going to get lung stress. You're going to see mucus and pus being created, literally, just like if you're exposed to COVID-19. We already have proof of that. And so when this happens, you have to be able to control the pneumonia reaction of mucus and pus being formed in the lungs to try to catch the virus so you can cough it out. But when there's an overabundance of that mucus and pus, you can't cough it up enough and you start to suffocate, which is why you need ventilators. So China in January figured out that they could stop the pneumonia from coronavirus infection, SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19. They figured out in January 2020 that they could use vitamin C to stop the pneumonia and get people, everyone in hospitals, out of the hospitals within three days just doing intravenous vitamin C. Now, you do not need to intravenously inject vitamin C. You can just take it orally. I recommend 10,000 milligrams of vitamin C every day, which is like one teaspoon, and just mix it in something. Vitamin C has been proven for decades, and China used it to stop the spread of COVID-19. China has 1.3 billion people in that country. This is where supposedly the COVID virus started. They have 1.3 billion people, and they only had 108 thousand cases of COVID-19 because they used vitamin C prophylactively, meaning they were taking vitamin C to prevent COVID-19 cases. COVID-19 only killed 4,000 people in China out of 1.3 billion. We had 500,000 plus people die in America because we weren't doing what they were doing. So vitamin C, every single person right now needs to be consuming. I don't care if you're pregnant. I don't care if you're a kid. If you're walking around and scared of vaccinated people now because you're worried about shedding or you're worried about increased COVID infection in the vaccinated, which is a worry, and them actually exposing you to a variant or more infectious strain of COVID-19, the vitamin C will protect you by helping to boost natural killer cells to help you re remove the risk of pneumonia, which is the life-threatening part of COVID-19 infection. It'll kill it. You just need 10,000 milligrams of vitamin C. You also should take vitamin D to help boost natural killer cell activity against viruses. And that's 8,000 international units is what we suggest. Zinc is proven to stop viruses from being able to replicate. And we're talking about all viruses. So zinc at 200 milligrams a day. I'm hoping people listening can actually hear these doses and write them down. But We'll add them to the description. But then selenium. Selenium is required for your bone marrow to be able to make white blood cells. Selenium has also been proven to help stop HIV virus, which is horribly impactful on the immune system. It was proven back in the 90s to stop 
HIV virus from spreading throughout the body to lead to AIDS in 100% of all patients in the study. Selenium helps stop replication of viruses by supporting natural killer cells. So you got 200 micrograms MCG of selenium, 200 milligrams of zinc a day, and then you've got vitamin D at 8,000 international units a day, vitamin C, I would easily have everyone do 10,000 milligrams preventively, prophylactically to get us through this. I just recommend uh, anybody do that for the rest of their life. Vitamin C is just that crucial at helping, literally it's been proven to help prevent cancers from developing in the body and it helps boost natural killer cells. This is how it works. It boosts natural killer cells ability to fight infections, all viruses and cancer cells. That's how this stuff works. So your body's own immune system, which is miraculous in itself, Please, I want your audience to know they do not have to live in fear and worry about COVID-19 killing them. That's the overall fear. I want to get my kid vaccinated because what if he's exposed to COVID-19 and he dies? I get it. That, that's been what's been told to you. COVID-19 poses very little threat, if any, to pregnant women, children, because their immune systems are so healthy and they can fight these coronaviruses easily. It's the immunocompromised people, 60 years old and older, that are typically on medications and prednisones. Prednisone is a steroid that suppresses the immune system that makes them so easily affected by new viruses like COVID-19. Kids don't need to worry. 99% of all humans on the planet, 99% were able to eliminate coronavirus from their body without any serious illness or death. 99% of all the humans in the world did it. That means the human body was 99% successful at actually keeping you from getting seriously sick from COVID and dying. 99% of all humans. Now, I got to give you the stats here. Pfizer is not a vaccine advertised to prevent you from getting COVID-19, nor is it marketed or listed as being able to stop you from transmitting COVID-19, which is what a vaccine is supposed to do. None of these vaccines promise to stop you from getting COVID-19 or from transmitting it. Their actual promise is we find the Pfizer vaccine to actually reduce, it's 95% effective at reducing your symptoms of illness once you get COVID-19. Now, the purpose of a vaccine is supposed to keep you from getting sick. This one doesn't keep you from getting sick from COVID-19. It's 95% effective, they say, at reducing your symptoms if you get sick. Moderna's is 94% is what they said. Johnson & Johnson was 66% effective at reducing your symptoms if you get COVID-19. Well, this is my question. Why would you, if you already knew the human body was able to do it with 99% success rate at eliminating COVID-19 from your body without serious infection, diseases, or death, and your own body is 99% capable of doing it, why would we inject anything into us that wasn't greater than 99% effective? Why are we choosing to put something into us that lowers that ability to 95%, 94%, or 66%? Trust that your human body has the ability to fight the infection. It's been doing it for millennia. This is not the first novel new virus we've ever been exposed to. Viruses have been around for millennia. So have we. And our human body, designed by God with an incredible immune system, is so sophisticated that if you just give it the ammunition it needs, which is vitamin C, D, zinc, selenium, and others, if you can just feed the immune system, it can handle it on its own, and there's very little threat. And you can witness to that through the statistics in China. They were able to eliminate it. They had press conferences galore in March talking about how they were stopping it in three days and returning people to home, clearing up their pneumonia in three days with vitamin C. And yet they never talked about it here in America at all, which is sad. And you saw much higher cases reported 
and much more deaths reported here when they chose to just use a experimental drug called remdesivir as their treatment protocol, mandated protocol here in the States. Uh, and I unfortunately am convinced that the actual medication remdesivir created probably 90% of all the deaths reported from COVID-19 and had nothing to do with COVID-19, the virus. And I've got the data. I love that response, especially as you're talking, you know, we need to help our human bodies because we live in a fallen world, but that God, God really did know what he was doing when he was building our immune systems and, and building our bodies. And he knew that we lived in a fallen world with disease and, and he set us up for success with that. So I love that. We're kind of close to our time, but Maddie, do you, do you have any other questions or, or anything else? No, Dr. Artis really hit on my big one, which was what can we, what can we do to prevent this? So that was I'm, I'm just so excited. I'm sorry. I'm sitting here fangirling, soaking this all up. <laughs> You're open to sharing this with, with your audience or not, but yeah. every time I've been on radio, TV, wherever, or podcasts, there is a, since June of 2020, I've been documenting uh, and collecting research articles and data to actually set the stage so that individuals can actually see the storyline and actually put together all the documentation behind what I talk about. When you asked how can we help people who are going to be going to doctors have these conversations, feel more confident about their decisions health-wise, if they're going to be making any decisions on their own, they have to have knowledge. So I have a 20-page report. People can email me. I don't know if you care if I share with them my email address, but I will provide to them that 20-page report, and it actually includes every FDA document, every CDC document that I reference, uh, the Harvard study in 2010 that proves Less than 1% of all injuries due to vaccines gets reported to the American government. That means any statistics you're listening to today that we're telling you, like 3,500 reported deaths have come within 48 hours to a week of the COVID-19 shots. Those have been reported. That means for every single data point that we give you as far as injuries to vaccines, Harvard statistics tell you, you have to add two more zeros to every single one of these data points. That means there's over 30,500 possible deaths due to COVID-19 vaccines because less than 1% get reported because medical doctors don't report them. And that was the limitation in the study in 2010. So these data points, every every data number you hear, you can go ahead and add two zeros to it. Uh, and there's already 115,000 reported serious adverse events from that list of that October FDA report I mentioned. 115,000, add two zeros to that, and you're over 10 million serious adverse events to COVID-19 vaccines just in America. And you've already seen 20 countries have already stopped and banned AstraZeneca's uh, vaccine because of blood clot disorders and deaths. These things are happening here too. They're not any different. Johnson & Johnson and the AstraZeneca shot are identical. <laughs> and they all contain the mRNA, which is in the Pfizer and Moderna shot. But there is a, a document if people want to be shared or have those documents with them to help them have a more powerful conversation and they, yeah. can email, they can email me at doc, D-O-C, at artistlabs.com, A-R-D-I-S-L-A-B-S.com. I can share it with you, too, if you'd like. But uh, these documents are important. It helps you set the stage for powerful conversations on behalf of yourself to keep you as ultimately healthy as possible. And Dr. Artis, just piggybacking off of that, where else can people go uh, to stay abreast of your work, you know, new developments? You clearly have a lot of knowledge and a lot of insight that I think is very valuable, especially for our listeners. So maybe you can give us a good website or, you know, place that we can send people to stay in touch with you. All right. So there's a few things I think it's very important for your audience to know. There are really going to be some people who are listening who actually may be 
don't trust natural solutions <laughs> like the ones I'm giving you. I've been able to watch it clinically for years to know that nature beats drugs all day, but that's just not the narrative that most people have been told their whole lives or have been indoctrinated with. So I'm aware there's going to be some people that might go, well, I don't know if I trust the natural components. I wish there was a medication I could trust that wasn't the vaccine maybe. There's a few websites you have to understand they exist, and I want your audience to know they can find them. There's one called flccc.net flccc.net. If you at all think you need a medication to help you beat coronavirus or COVID-19, you need to go to that website. And there, there is a directory that they have put together, these medical doctors of every country of the majority of the countries in the world and every state in the United States where there are doctors and clinicians who are willing to write you a prescription over the phone for ivermectin. Ivermectin has 27 studies just in 2020 that came from 18 countries that they were able to prove they could stop the infection of COVID-19 and stop 100% of the time transmission within 48 hours with ivermectin. These guys, and it costs two cents a day for this treatment. So it's a very cheap alternative. If your medical doctor is not willing to write you a prescription for ivermectin in case you're worried about getting sick or getting COVID-19 or variants in the future, you need to know that resource is there and you can learn a ton. Go watch the videos by Pierre Corey, K-O-R-Y-M-D. He's one of the medical doctors there that, that heads up that website. Secondarily, you've heard a lot of conversations about hydroxychloroquine from the beginning. Ivermectin, I just mentioned, and hydroxychloroquine are both antiparasitic drugs. Ivermectin and, and hydroxychloroquine have both been FDA-approved, safe, and efficacious. Ivermectin, 20 years by the FDA. And uh, hydroxychloroquine for 65 years <laughs> at AFLDS.com. That's American Frontline Doctors. They there will actually help you get a, through a telemedicine appointment, can help you get prescriptions for hydroxychloroquine if you prefer. In my opinion, ivermectin is way more powerful and way more uh, beneficial against COVID-19 as a medicine. So those are two resources. I will be having Sherry Timpany on my podcast show, and uh, I'll just let you know where your audience can find that. I have actually done multiple medical doctor interviews, scientists, attorneys who are suing the CDC over inflated COVID-19 death cases numbers, and those can be found at vocalnow.com, V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com. In the cultural section is the Dr. Artist Show, my show. It can also be found on YouTube. But uh, I'm trying to educate as much as possible and provide as much material as possible. But those are two references you should know. And then anyone else who would like to know more from a, a woman's perspective, Dr. Sherry Timpany, go to drtenpenny.com and follow Dr. Sherry Timpany. I've actually followed her research, studied underneath her for 20 years. Uh, and she, there's no one that I know is more prepared to educate you or has more research documented material on the safety of all vaccines, not just COVID-19 vaccines, all vaccines, than Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. So go to her websites, follow her. And for those who like medical doctors who like just talking about conversations, I would go to the medicalrebel.com. And this is Dr. Lee Merritt, MD. She's a 30-year classically trained spinal surgeon. And she wakes up the world. She's also on my show, but I've been on my podcast, but she is brilliant in her approach to the, the entire scenario. 
Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much. We'll put all of the links that Dr. Artis just mentioned in the description of the podcast, so you'll be able to easily access those. And I just want to thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Ladies of LifeSite. As you know, we'll be back next week with another episode, so be sure to subscribe to our email list, and that link is going to be in the description. And please contact us with any questions or comments or topics that you might have for us and email us anytime at ladies at lifesitenews.com. We'd love to hear from you and we hope you have a great week.